What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here in the studio. And oh boy, oh boy, did I have fun today. I got to talk to Boots Riley. Um, definitely one of the coolest people I've ever had the pleasure of sitting down with. Um, he's so cool, he made me feel like the squarest middle-aged guy you could imagine. Uh, even though we're actually only about a week apart in age. Um, turns out though, Boots is a really nice guy. Uh, he has a new movie out now called Sorry to Bother You. A, uh, I call it a satire, but we talk a little bit about the word satire in this interview. And uh, I don't think satire is a dirty word. I think it's great. It's a comedy. Um, it's very funny. He's very much making a, a statement about the current state of race and politics in the USA. But, but he does so through a very accessible lens of this film which is uh, odd and strange and funny. And uh, his his directorial debut as writer and director here in his uh, mid to late 40s, which is really cool. He was uh, best known probably, uh, is best known as the as the leader of the uh, hip-hop group or collective The Coup, uh, that is C-O-U-P. Uh, for many years, he made his, his name in music and is extremely talented. And check out The Coup if you haven't. It's great stuff. But uh, I have a lot of respect for Boots for throwing us a change up here uh, at, at 47 years old and making a movie out of nowhere and a very bold, brave first film, very confident first film, very impressive. So Boots's pick was Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, the film from 1985 from director Paul Schrader. Um, 
Very interesting film. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. It is a biopic about the the legendary Japanese writer, um, Yukio Mishima, but it is um, it's kind of hard to describe. The way that Paul Schrader approached this was unlike any movie I'd ever seen before as far as biopics go. He, uh, he does it in four parts through his uh, through a black and white story of his real life uh, as a youngster and growing up, and then through three other chapters um, through Yukio Mishima's books and the plots of these books and the story of these books, how they intertwine to also help tell the story of this man's life. Uh, and the way it's shot is just amazing. Really, really unique uh, take. Very art, arty movie. Um, and this was Boots's pick. Um, Boots has a wide range of styles and influences and it was cool to hear that this was his choice. So here we go with the great Boots Riley on Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. Nice, uh, nice digs. Yeah, man. I got. You're looking good. I got like 40, no, 20 suits and then 40 separate jackets and pants given to me, like gifted oh. to me. No way. Um, there's this woman that is this woman that r- runs a thrift store, a vintage store uh-huh. that raises money uh, to for to fund safe houses for girls to get away from their pimps. Wow! And they did a story on her in the in in the newspaper, and then people came donating clothes. So some one family that was a wealthy family, I guess. Their parents had died, mm-hmm. and so they donated all the clothes. And the, the woman had a lot of the mother had so many clothes, and she didn't. She doesn't want men coming into the shop because sometimes she has the girls come working right. there. Yeah, yeah. And so she was like, "Well, I want to give all the men's clothes to an artist." And I happened to be walking right by. And you happened to be. And she was like, "Try this jacket on." <laughs> and I was like, "This fits." And she was like, Uh-oh. "You know, w- w- take you know." And there was garbage bags all over her floor and yeah. stuff. She's like, you know, whatever you want, take it. And I was like, can I have it all? <laughs> she, she was like, yeah, good, take That's it. Quite a bounty, and <laughs> yeah, then you yeah. can just mix and, and they're match. all like, yeah, yeah, very nice. Where's that? With that shop? Oh, that's called uh, Regina's Door. It's in Oakland, California. I, I mean, that's I live right. in Oakland. Yeah, yeah. You know who I just had in here was. Uh, and I have a feeling you know these guys, David Diggs and Raphael. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I thought I had never met David. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew who, who he was, obviously. And I was like, it's strange I never met this guy. And so we met at Sundance, like, when our films were premiering. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's good to finally meet you. And he was like, no, dude, you already know me. Because <laughs> I used to teach this art and organizing class yeah. um, at this community center. And he was uh-huh. like... I was in your class. Oh, wow. That's know? pretty cool. <laughs> but, of course, he probably didn't have the facial hair and all that because well, he was 14. Yeah, or yeah. He's, he was a kid probably. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I bet you were like, uh, I bet he looked up to you a lot. I don't know. It's very cool. Know, maybe he thought the <laughs> class was bullshit. It's very possible. <laughs> I doubt it. He's a nice guy. He and Raphael were both cool, and their movie's great. Uh, have you? Did you get to see that? Yeah, man. It's it's exciting to see so much stuff coming out of yeah. Oakland. And, uh they are definitely showing themselves to be a force um, in acting. And, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to see. Yeah, Oakland's really doing. like, uh, I mean, with you guys, with your movies coming out, 
with the Warriors the past few years. It's been like, <laughs> now if only we could get the rent cheaper so people could actually afford to be artists. Yeah, yeah that's kind of become a thing, huh? Yeah, it's kind of a thing. Like yeah. Shelter. Right. It's you important. <laughs> yeah. Affordable housing. Uh, you and I are very close to age, actually. I was born in March 71. Oh, shit. You're, so, you're uh, older than me. Yeah, just by a few weeks. <laughs> As you can yeah. tell by the, the gray beard. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, let's go ahead and start with your movie. Sorry to bother you. Amazing achievement. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I'm Thanks really, so much. I'm really curious about, well, first of all, you took the title from uh, your 2012 uh, record with The Coup. Well, or was it's it? actually the other way. I, I wrote the script. Oh, okay. And I had no connections in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I figured, okay, I'll make an album and, you know, maybe that will convince the record label to give me some money and then I can start right. putting stuff together. Uh-huh. They were like, nope. And uh, so you wrote the, the script in what, I, 2011 or? Uh, yeah, I started in 2011, finished in 2012. Uh-huh. Uh, put an album out in what, like summer 2012. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but still it turned, it, it, nothing happened as fast as I wanted it to. Right. So we had to put the album out and tour it because I needed money. Mm-hmm. And uh, then soon it was 2014. By this time, the only person I had gotten it to was uh, David Cross. Right. Yeah. And Dave, David Cross was the first person to sign on. Uh-huh. I actually... Sent him the script because we had done this show together and I had his information from a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, first I told him I had the script. He was like, yeah, send it to my house. And he now tells me he had no intention of ever reading it. Oh, really? But he was out of town Mm -hmm. and his assistant was house sitting and read the script. Oh, man. And then told him, you have to read this script. So then I had him on board saying he was that that he was down. Yeah. And then so um, somebody told me that Pat Oswalt, oh, Pat Oswalt is tweeting cool lyrics. Right. So I hit him up. That's and how said, you got to do it, you know. Said, yeah. And hit him up and said, <clears throat> you know, there's a script. Because even if you like an artist or whatever, mm-hmm. they're, them writing a script is not necessarily something you're excited about. Right. Because, of course, you're, you're, you're a rapper. You want to write a script, you want to start a clothing line, you mm. want a barbecue franchise right. or whatever. You know, like, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't necessarily Diversify. mean it's good. Yeah. And, um, but I, I was able to say to Pat, and look, David Cross likes it. Mm. So he read it, and he was like, hey, I'm on board, whatever you want me to do. So those two were the first two on board. Then in 2014, I ran into Dave Eggers. Oh, um, yeah. And just actually ran into him on the street. Uh-huh. And, I mean, not I didn't bump into him and we right. didn't hurt each other. But <laughs> I, I saw him on the street yeah. and he he, uh, he knew the music, but I was like, look, I, I wrote this screenplay. David Cross and Pat Oswalt think it's hilarious, but I haven't been able to get it made. Uh-huh. I'm going to just put it out on the internet. That was what I wanted to do was just, just like, release I just, script. just, just like with the idea of like, I'll never get this made, but yeah. I want people to know 20 years from now mm. that I did it. Right. And maybe like somebody in the future will be like, we should do that movie. Right. You know, I found (laughs) your legacy. And, uh, you know, so Dave Eggers read it and he said, 
to me, emailed me what he then used as a way to promote the thing was, which was, he said, well, this is one of the best unproduced screenplays I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And then he made it into its own paperback book. Oh, wow. On, and, in you know, screenplay form, but bound like a paperback book. Yeah. And packaged it with McSweeney's Quarterly. So that went yeah. out to like ten or 20,000 people. That's great. And um, that was 2014. And while that whole deal was in place, I realized, okay, maybe, because he was like, look, everybody reads the script. I'm, mm-hmm. I want to help you get this out there. You can yeah. get it made. And so I joined San Francisco uh, Film Society as a filmmaker in residence. Um went to Sundance with the actual books in hand mm-hmm. uh, to the to the film festival right. and met those folks. They invited me to apply to the Sundance Writers Lab. Yeah, did you get in that? Yeah, I did oh, the Sundance great. Writers Lab. Uh-huh. Then um, they picked us for the, their Catalyst program, which is where 12 films each year mm-hmm. make a presentation to 60 investors and... You know, you get your time to make your pitch. Yeah. And that that's actually where we met all of our financiers. Initially. Really? Yeah. So uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker and Nina Yang Bon Jovi's company, Significant, uh-huh. they were there. Um, uh, uh, then uh, Macro yeah. was there. And uh, Center Reach. Right. They were all there. So um, I had met Center Reach earlier, but that's where it, it came, you know, people got locked in. Then, then it's still, people still weren't convinced. Then when I went to the direct Sundance Director's Lab, mm-hmm. then uh, it, people gained a little bit more confidence in me. Well, and at the Director's Lab, isn't that where you actually... You shoot, shoot certain stuff, right? scenes, not, yeah. nothing that gets used in the film. Yeah, but just... To, but yeah, you uh-huh. just kind of practice. And, uh, you know, I, although I did put out there that I I had gone to film school. I started in film school. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I started in film school. We got a record deal while I was in film school, mm-hmm. and it was at a time when even short films cost a right. good deal of money. Yeah, because you're shooting on film. Yeah, and uh, so um, somebody was offering me money, which I thought was a lot. It was like $50,000 to record an album. I was yeah. like, oh, man, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is, I guess I'm a musician. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental <laughs> success there. Huh? And, uh, yeah, so um, that's what I was doing. And this, that's probably why our songs were like a few, our more popular songs are long eight-minute songs yeah. that are telling these stories. Uh-huh. Um, but so, and I co-directed a video and but really those aren't the the those things didn't I don't remember yeah <laughs> you know that stuff. as far as just the, yeah. the process of filmmaking yeah, it, just, yeah. it didn't really what did help me more was producing music you mm-hmm. know uh being a music producer working with musicians uh where I might um be in the studio with Someone who people consider the best bass player in the world, mm-hmm. the drummer who thinks they're the best drummer in the world, <laughs> and, the, the, you know, a weird keyboard player. And individually, they all know much more about music than I do. Yeah. But I have to get them to follow my vision. Yeah. And and not only just to do it because I say to follow the vision. Right. I get have to get them to buy into it. Mm-hmm. 
And then I also have to know, then I also have to know, hey, that riff you just did right there is way better than what I had in that section. Right. That's what we're going with. And so. Learn how to collaborate. You have to, yeah, you have to be, um, you have to be won over to, your your ego has to be in the final product. Yeah, sure. And not in the, in, not, not in who. Who did what? And right, all that sort like of in stuff. the process. But yeah, and you. But you also have to, because like the guitar player wants the guitar louder mm-hmm. and wants a solo in this part and that part. Right. So often, people that are really good at their particular thing, you know, aren't seeing the whole picture. And that's, uh, I could could be said to be true of actors yeah. and, you know, anyone in in the process, any. Technical. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about that as a training ground for uh, film directing. It's kind of a similar thing. You're working with artists for a bigger vision, but everyone has their individual uh, talents. Yeah, and you just got to lead the charge. Yeah, you you know, thing about film is, luckily, you know, as opposed to music, you're not riding in a van with all these people for ten hours a day. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and having to deal with a two hour fist fight between your keyboard player and your guitar player. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> a little um, bit of a different world. Yeah. But it trains you for the other craziness uh-huh. that's happening and the, the egos that everyone has, yeah. including yourself and figuring that that out. Yeah, that's very cool that um, I mean, you were, I guess, in your 40s going to these labs mm-hmm. all these years later after going to film school. You're making your first movie as writer and director. Yeah. So it's kind of a crazy, uh, circuitous way you got there. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, doing things, mm-hmm. following through on the thing you say you're going to do, yeah, is something that builds confidence and allows you to do other things. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, if, if, if someone who has built a house before mm-hmm. tells you, that they are going to swim the English Channel. You may believe them yeah. more than just someone coming out of the blue. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. I guess it gave you, um, you were probably a much more confident first-time filmmaker than you would have been in your 20s right out of film school because of the successes you achieved through the coup. Maybe, yeah. And also writing this script and pushing to get it made, I wasn't doing this Uh, in order to get a job in Hollywood. I could care less about being able to do, you know, um, Expendables number seven or something Uh like that. That's not what I'm trying to do. Not trying to show that I can do what you need me to do. I'm doing it because I have something to say and I have, I feel like, a way to say it Mm -hmm. that, that where the aesthetic makes a statement as well. Yeah. You know, and so that, you know, I I could come to it on my terms. Right. You know, whereas maybe coming out of film school, you'd be like, wow, I have this chance. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to blow it. I'm like, well, I'm here to blow my chance. To serve as well to whoever gave you that chance. Yeah. Like, uh, you're in a pretty good position in this one, I think. Yeah. I mean, you want it to be successful, but you also want it to be successful on certain terms. Right. You made your movie. I spent all my life being broke because I wanted to do the art that I wanted to do mm-hmm. and saying the things I wanted to say and in the way that I wanted to say it. So 
it's not, you know, I'm not going to then make something I'm unhappy with. Right. Just for this chance now at the end of my life. Did you well, feel like? Man, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a, it is. It is. I mean, Pat Oswalt has that joke where he's like, uh-huh. you know, he's like, I'm in my 40s. They say it's midlife. But is it really? Right. You know, like. Yeah. You got to be really healthy to get into your 80s and 90s. So, yeah. You know. Plus, I, you know, I think you get to our age. So and you feel the clock ticking a little bit, which pushes me to be like, I have a lot of movies to make. Good. You know. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So this is the beginning of, of yeah. phase two. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's all kind of been one thing. But having going 20 something years since film school uh-huh. with collecting ideas right and being like this would be a good movie that would be a good i have like i have a lot of ideas but i think i have like 14 good ones ready to go yeah that's good news (laughs) for the rest of us yeah This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Talk to me a little bit about working with um, Lakeith. Stanfield. I mean, he's kind of one of the the biggest, hottest stars out there right now, and I hate using that word, yeah. but hottest actors. So, and that's lucky for me because yeah. when when we m- met up, um, he had only been, you know, I think it was like short term twelve, right? And then, uh, and you know, he'd done like a bit part in a Oliver Stone movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he had done other things, but they weren't out. Uh And then he, there were, when we met, I had only seen two episodes of Atlanta. Right. So I was a little, I was like, oh, is this the guy, whatever. Mm -hmm. But we met up at this cafe and 
he was just crazy. Yeah. He was crazy in the right ways, and he was hungry, and he was flexible. Uh, when, when I first was meeting with people for this role, there's a scene in it that calls for full frontal nudity yeah. from the person that plays Cassius. And uh, we ended up not being able to shoot it for uh-huh. time because the reasons and, and the reason why I let let it go was that just kind of backtracking is that I was like, first I said to him, um, look, we need people to feel Cassius at his most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I, that calls for him being full frontal nude scene and this right. thing, which wasn't it wasn't a sex scene. It was just him standing there. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it's that's that's part of the role. There's no talking around it. That, yeah. And he cut me off. He said, I've been waiting for a role with full frontal nudity. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and uh, we didn't end up shooting mm-hmm. the scene because the vulnerability is right there in his face. Sure. And also, we just had to cut something because we had six. We had we ended up shooting sixty one locations. Oh wow! And how forty many days? something speaking roles. Twenty eight days. Man, and uh, tough stuff. Which was is I'm realizing now because everybody be like, "This is ambitious," this mm-hmm. is, and I'd be like, "You're supposed to be ambitious." Yeah. But what I realized was going on is like, if I had done a movie before. I would have been like, oh, that's too many. Yeah. <laughs> How we, we're not going to get, that's going to be crazy. And then I would have cut it down. And all these details that are in the movie, these little things, uh, the, you know, and even saying the location number and the number of speaking character numbers don't, doesn't really tell it because mm-hmm. the production design is detailed. Oh, uh, yeah. Jason Kisvarde did an amazing job. Yeah, and, visually it was just unbelievable. Yeah. So and, cool. And, uh, Costume, like uh, some of the main characters, uh, especially Detroit, Tessa Thompson's character, mm-hmm. changes outfits every single scene. Yeah. And changes looks, the whole, like, look of her face Yeah, and that everything. takes a lot of time. And so, yeah, for me, it was just like, that makes it more interesting, mm-hmm. which it did. But, but other people, producers and stuff were like, this makes it more expensive right. or less likely to get done. Uh-huh. And, uh, but we ended up cutting very little. Yeah. Out of the did, movie. Do you feel like that you are, uh, do, do you feel like you had a kind of a wide berth of doing the movie you wanted to do while also, you know, I know that when the producers come on board, they, the realism hammer hits you in the head pretty hard, but do you feel like you really didn't have to compromise too much? actually didn't uh, have to compromise too much. I mean, good. there were, there were, I mean, there are plenty of arguments and mm-hmm. debates about compromise, right. but I was, uh, you know, I, I knew that what this movie had to offer was a different way of telling stories, especially for independence. Cause that's mm-hmm. kind of what it ends up being is like, you whittle it down to the easiest thing to do. Right. And it ends up being two people on a couch talking and then in a bar talking mm-hmm. and then um, on the street walking away from each other. Right. And, you know, um, that ends up being your movie. And so there ends up being, even though independent is supposed to mean like freer, mm-hmm. it ends up going into this box. Right. And um, so I really didn't want it to do those things. Yeah. 
And um, I was able to do it because, I mean, even though this was a union shoot, we had to, uh, you know, I lived in Oakland, so we were able to get locations for right. free. Yeah, yeah. Extras um, probably. We were, yeah. People, art that existed was already mm-hmm. around. I could get, my friend Gadinji did the art that, that uh, Tessa Thompson's character does. Oh, really? Uh, Omiru is what he's going by now. And um, yeah, and so there were all sorts of things that we could right. do to make, you know, yeah, to to make it be possible. And even like when you are paying extras and you want to get a crowd scene, it's hard. Uh-huh. But because I'm in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. I could generate enough excitement to get yeah. crowd scenes. Yeah, going that's on. very cool. Well, I, I told uh, David the same thing. Like you only get to make that first one once, you mm-hmm. know. It's like a truly special experience because uh, then you have the knowledge and you've almost been spoiled or ruined a little bit going into the second one, but it also makes you a smarter filmmaker. So sort of a give and take, you know. Yeah. There's something kind of cool, though, about that first, that naivete going into that first one, you know. I don't know because I haven't done my second one. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> but but sure yeah, that's coming soon. Hopefully I'll hold that naivete. Um, I think uh, there's a Carlos Santana, of all people, had a crazy interview I heard him doing. This is related to it, but he was talking about this is good again. He was talking about how when he was a kid, he was molested, mm-hmm. and but it was by a woman, so he didn't think of it that way at right. the time. And uh, but started going into this talk about why older people are attracted to younger people. Mm-hmm. And even when it is legal and, you know, whatever, the point is that he starts talking about is that when we're young, everything is new. Mm-hmm. Right. We have that naivete that that we're so excited about learning new things, even though sometimes we're headstrong. We think we know a lot. We still feel that new information coming in and things seem excited. But the system gets us to the point where by the time we're in our 30s, we're supposed we're told that we know all there is to know because that's a way for us to, you know, be okay with just going to work. Right. And doing the same thing over and over. There's nothing new to learn. Mm-hmm. And so be more responsible and be a be be productive in the way that that you're supposed to be productive. Yeah. And people start getting depressed with that and they want to feel like the world is new again. Mm -hmm. And so when they get around young people, then they can feel like the world is new. He claimed that what he was able to do is make sure he understood that there's always something new to learn. There's always something and and that every day he consciously finds new stuff Uh and looks at new stuff around him physically in the world. And, that's what I hope to do as a filmmaker yeah. as well, is to constantly be exploring something new as opposed to being like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how to do this. Right. You know. It's about being open. And, and that's what I've done with music, too. Mm-hmm. With, much to the chagrin of some of our fans, you know, we're always, like, I'm always having to look for that thing that feels new and exciting. Yeah. And now it's gone to film. Yeah. Well, I think that's what makes a true artist, you know, being open to that. 
uh, in your life, you know? It's very easy to shut that down, I think, even as an artist. So uh, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, so what about your visual uh, inspirations for this movie? I mean, it was such a – just uh, visually, it's such a cool-looking movie, and it kind of reminded me of, like, uh, like Michel Gondry and um, – and how it worked with the satire it was just kind of a perfect mix. So where, hmm. where, who are your inspirations? Yeah, well, definitely I like Michelle Gondry, but I think um, some of the inspiration is just, well, so for instance, with music, um, we use Pro Tools, but I have this theory that, I, you know, I don't like stuff just going from the keyboard straight onto the, uh, onto the computer, mm -hmm. like, Sound needs to hit the air first because it does something that I think we haven't calculated yet. Right. And we hear it in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think that same thing uh, with uh, practical effects versus CGI. Yeah. Like, um, besides the limitations of CGI and the fact that, you know, like, well, one, you could have a skyscraper stand up and walk a block over and take a shit yeah. on on the movie and it wouldn't impress you. Right. It would it wouldn't it doesn't feel like anything. Mm -hmm. Um and but when something happens in a real space, yeah. it it feels substantial. Mm -hmm. And it really uh you, you know, so so that's kind of where I take it from. Um and definitely Gondry does that yeah. a lot. Um, there, you know, there are other filmmakers that, you know, from like David Cronenberg mm -hmm. and things like that, about things about the movie that I don't necessarily want to talk about. Right. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that guide that, uh, idea, but there's, let's see, there's Gondry, there's Emir Costa Rica, there is Kubrick, there is, um, definitely Spike Lee. Um, <clears throat> mm -hmm. there's, um, well, the color palette, Spike's color palette always just knocked me out. And that kind of yeah. reminded me a little bit uh, with what you were doing, just bold colors. And, and th that was kind of something we found mm -hmm. as we went, you know, um, it, 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 with Jason and, uh, and Jason Kisvardi, the production designer, Doug Emmett, the cinematographer, um, some a lot of this was I had like a lookbook that was, you know, a thousand images maybe. Yeah. Um, but who else? Uh, Parajanov is someone. Mm -hmm. uh, he he does these very slow movies, not like I want to make at all, mm -hmm. but um, has these framings of the, these big wide shots with like so much detail in yeah. them that you really need to take a still shot of them mm -hmm. and to really take it all in. Right. Uh, and I think who maybe was influenced by that person as well was, uh, uh, what's his name? Holy Mountain. Um, uh, Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky. I don't think I know. Uh, Holy Mountain? Mm hmm You know Holy Mountain. I don't think I do. I it, need to. Uh, well, you you saw Jodorowsky's Dune, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, so he made Holy Mountain, and it has all these uh, these beautiful, uh, more his his. You can tell there was someone production designing it, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to uh, 
Parajan off where it has those same big wide shots uh, and, and, and his uh, Jodorowsky's colors are, are more uh, bright and, uh, and manipulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I love all that stuff. Yeah. I don't like the, uh, I don't like the preachiness with which like Jodorowsky comes off with and, and, and some of those things. So we, we wanted to put all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the camera movement, the, the, the energy of, of camera movement of uh, like uh, I'm trying to think what, what movie had, but we wanted a, an energy in the way the camera moved through yeah, the space. That really came across. And uh, yeah. So, and, but a lot of it ended up being like, you know, our locations were changing and things like that. And yeah, you got to be nimble. Yeah, and we're like, okay, how do we get something good out of this? Mm-hmm. And how do we, you know, so, and um, some of that w- was, you know, luck. Some of that was, you know, um, m- was was just me and Doug, like, figuring it out right then sometimes. Yeah, was, that's kind of the test of a of a filmmaker, I think, is that, you know, you can do all the planning in the world, but like on the day, shit happens, and yeah. you gotta you gotta be nimble and figure out like how to get what you want, and yeah. while losing something that you wanted. Yeah. And and honestly, like sometimes I might like there's a shot that's in the trailer of uh, of uh, Omari Hardwick's character, Mister, which is just Mister with the with yes. the seven space <laughs> blank line under it. Um, and he he's in a hallway full of lights. Uh-huh. And that was a a location that was a compromise. We really I still I know the location we could have used. Yeah. And um, you know, but anyway. Does that stuff so, still bug you sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> but so we got so like there were a few spots in this place which are the reason why we ended up mm-hmm compromising and doing it. That, that was one of the things that was a budget thing. Like, yeah. okay, we're just going to have to do this. And um, so that hallway was one of the reasons I picked the place. And maybe my view of it was like, just we were going to go straight down and we would see the the, the lights disappearing off behind, uh, behind Omari's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and Doug was like, Let's. He didn't say these words, but he just did it. Like we're gonna take this a couple steps higher, mm-hmm. and just by moving the camera, the, his experience, yeah. and his skill at framing the the, the picture better than yeah. I can. You know, that's something that right. that just adds there. So you know, like, um, I you know, part of it is picking great people who know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, man. You know, for sure. Let yeah. them do their job. Yeah. That's great. Well, I just, it was a great movie. Congratulations. It's really exciting to like, because, you know, we're the same age. I can't imagine, like, I got success later in life with podcasting. So I, uh, you've had your successes throughout the years, but it's kind of cool to be embarking on, on a new yeah. journey. I mean, yeah. And, and to the extent that you can always reframe it as success. Yeah. But, you know, even in my own town, people are like, man, we'll, when are you going to make an album? You haven't been making albums in yeah. the last 15 years. I'm like, dude, I've been putting out an album like every couple years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's the point is that, you know, and still having 
you know, even last year, lights cut off, mm. things like that. Yeah. So to what extent is it success? Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things, you're always questioning yourself. Right. And, um, you know, probably still will be d- questioning myself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, it, you know, you can frame it as success n- now, um, but but I w- wasn't always thinking of it that way. And that, I think that's kind of what also kept me hungry. Sure, that drive. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, backing up, what was your, um, I mean, you got involved in uh, politics and activism at a very young age, um, but how did entertainment, like, you hear about a kid that's, you know, 13, 14, 15, getting involved in political activism, and you don't think about that same kid going to the movies to see Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did movies and entertainment figure in while you were also doing this very serious, worthy thing? Well, I mean... I was addicted to television as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I um and by the time I was 12 you know I was practicing I was learning guitar not practicing enough yeah. but uh I wanted to be prince. Mm-hmm. I was just, I I wanted to be I knew that what was happening on film screens and television was important. Mhm. And I didn't feel important. Right. I didn't feel, I felt like they were touching the world. They were out there and then, Mm -hmm. you know, and and my life was small and boring. And, um, you know, obviously through movies, you can travel, you can, you know, you can be in all these situations that seem, even in the drama and scary parts, seem much more of a worthy life than uh-huh. you're living. Yeah. And um and so that 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 was what I wanted to do. I, my my grandmother ran Oakland Ensemble Theater. My uncle used to do one person plays, but I didn't think of those things as connected because mm-hmm. you know, a play has like 30 people in the crowd or, you know, and, and it's there, you're, you know, like you're there and, you know, especially some of these things that I got involved with were like storefront theaters, Mm -hmm. like actual storefront. It still looked like a storefront and had fold out chairs and things like that. So movies and film and music, uh, I mean, TV, film and music that seemed like touching the world. And at the same time, uh, at the same time, um, getting involved in youth organizing as a youth, all of a sudden I was helping people who were, I, we first helped out with this, helped support this uh, cannery workers strike that was going on in Watsonville. And then, then later on I was doing summer projects helping out uh, farm workers. And these folks were, feeling like they were part of a movement that was changing the world. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I was getting that same feeling yeah. from being involved with something that could actually have an effect on the world, mm-hmm. could have ripple effects. The things that you are doing now actually will have an effect on stuff that's going on after you're gone. Yeah, And so that felt very, that, 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 that fulfilled that need. But at the time, I had looked at my interest in, you know, 
uh, being part of TV and film and music. At that time, I thought of that as an individualistic sort mm -hmm. of thing. I hadn't really figured out why I wanted those things right. in the first place. Why? Only later in life did I figure out that that was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Who inspired your activism early on? Where did that come from? Well, um, my parents had, my father was in, in the civil rights movement. Mm. He was in the NAACP in Durham, North Carolina. Then he joined Corps and moved out to the Bay Area. And him and my mother met during the San Francisco State Strike, which was the uh, student strike that created the first, first uh, ethnic studies mm -hmm. department in the United States. And um, so they were involved in a lot of stuff. But by the time I was eight, they were burnt out organizers. And really? my father went back to school and became a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, so although they weren't involved in stuff anymore, I knew that when I got involved mm -hmm. in things that I wouldn't be like, you know, as some people were like, you can't come in this house if that's what you're doing. Right. You know, oh, I, I knew that was not going to be happening. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, early on, a lot of my heroes were folks like Fred Hampton and um, revolutionaries in other countries that right. were like in their teens and, you know, um, making things happen. Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, to mix it with music, people like Joe Hill, yeah. who... Uh, were some of the folks that inspired Woody Guthrie um, and Paul Robeson and um, you know, those sorts of folks that figured out ways to um, talk to just everyday people yeah. and um, make them feel empowered. Yeah, well, and you can kind of, I mean, you definitely see that through line through your through your music and then with sorry to bother you, you know, you have a, a statement to make, but you make it in such a, um, I think satire is such a great vehicle. Um, and it's weird. Like this. I have a weird relationship. I'm still trying to figure that out with the word satire mm -hmm. because like satire is what like exaggerating certain circumstances in order to make a point. Right. Yeah. Kind of but that's define, what but yeah. every <laughs> single movie does. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Right, so it's only called satire when it's saying something that the regular general media doesn't say. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, it ends up making you think that nothing else has a statement. Right. And this is the only thing that has a statement. Yeah. And so you look at that film differently mm -hmm. without thinking that, hey— when I'm watching Rampage, there's a political statement being made. And right. there is. Yeah. But it's just the one that we hear all the time. Yeah. And it reinforces all those things. Or uh -huh. when I'm watching, you know, all, all these things have political statements that they're giving right. to us. Um, but so I'm still trying to think whether this is, whether I want to say this is a satire. Because also I, I think aesthetically of certain things when, when I hear satire, uh -huh. you know like Monty Python or something like that, right. which I love Monty Python. But, yeah. you know, I, I feel like uh, the thing that I'm doing is a little little more nuanced than those things or whatever. Yeah, for you know? sure. Um, 
but I'm sorry, you, you, I got off on the 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 word satire, and I didn't. No, I, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, that's a tough word to define, and you certainly don't want to, like, put your movie or any film in a box like that. So I I get the aversion to labeling something. Yeah, and it's more of a of an aesthetic connection that, that I'm thinking of when, mm-hmm. when I hear that word, because sometimes when something says it's a satire, I don't necessarily want to click on it or right. whatever yeah. and watch, <laughs> you know, like, I, yeah. I hear you. Um, well, I guess we can move a little bit into uh, your movie crush pick. Yeah, we should move on to, I know you sent me a couple of things. You sent uh, Black Cat, White Cat, mm-hmm. which uh, we talked before we, we sat down, yeah. is a Serbian film that I was yeah. not able to find subtitles. This guy, Emir Costa Rica, um, who... I only know a few of his movies, and and uh, they he, and I like all the ones that I know, although they're slightly racist. Uh, but they are uh, they are uh, one is called Time of Gypsies. Mm-hmm. One can in that for in eighty nine. Then another one is called Underground, mm-hmm. which one can in like ninety six. And the uh, and and um. The other one is uh, another one is called Black Cat, White Cat. I also know his movie Arizona Dream, which was Johnny Depp, Jerry Lewis, Faye Dunaway. Oh, okay. I've heard of Lily Taylor. It's a terrible movie. Is it? It's a terrible movie. They have a couple really good scenes, but apparently he didn't, that was his only um, American movie, Uh and he didn't know how they do movies here. So he was filming. Then he was like, oh, we're going to take a break for a month and <laughs> then come back. And <laughs> yeah. then nobody was available uh, anymore. Wow. But uh, that's crazy. Anyway, there, yeah, there's a on, on YouTube, there's a scene from that, which they're at a dinner table. So if you look that up online, look up YouTube. And um, if you see a scene with Johnny Depp, who else is in it? Vincent D'Onofrio, I think, um, is in it, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, um he does chaos really well. Interesting. Um, he uh, and uh, he is so like he has the the uh, uh, he has the, the in black cat white cat. There's these geese that just come in and fill the frame mm-hmm. like a few times, and and I'm kind of somewhat stole from that. There's this paper that's in the it's in the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away. But there's this paper this uh copy machine that keeps like kind of exploding oh, yeah. and, and filling the frame mm-hmm. and that. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, just the, the chaos and the energy of the camera, this guy, Terry Arbogast was the uh, cinematographer for that. He did. He also was the cinematographer on um, the one that people would probably know as fifth element. Right. And those Luc Besson, mm-hmm. a couple of those Luc Besson movies, I think, Des- Delicate, is that Luc Besson, Delicatessen, yeah. too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. So, no, Delicatessen was, I think, the brothers, oh, uh, Junot and Corot. Okay. But, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about yeah. with that. So, yeah, like it's kinetic, moving, yeah. energetic feeling. And, um, uh, and, you know, like Time of Gypsies is this movie uh, about this kid who it starts out and he just has this power to just slightly levitate a fork mm-hmm. above the ground, above the table, like a few inches, and then it falls. That's all he's able to do. Mm-hmm. 
And then it goes into this story about how him and his sister are basically kidnapped and taken to Italy and sisters turned into a prostitute and um, he's doing all these crimes or whatever. And then he finally escapes and finds his sister, then goes to the uh, gangster's wedding that kidnapped him and is able to levitate the fork up. It can't get to the gangster and is sitting there at the table with him and levitates a fork all the way up and then right no through bullets right <laughs> yeah. through his eye. You know. Wow. Um Yeah. And um so though those so yeah, but Costa Rica has become I heard he's become pretty right wing. Um anyway. Um I got some homework to do there then. Yeah. Uh, one, well, actually, after I wrote the script, and I, at one point there was a couple of people I called because I didn't think that I would be able to get it made. Mm. So I was like, maybe I could get someone else that's known to, to direct it, and then it's po- it becomes popular, and then I can become a yeah. director after that. What I, Luckily, that didn't happen because what I learned is if I had done that, then I would forever be a writer and it would be right. hard to get it. But anyway, so I called looking for this guy, Costa Rica. Oh, really? I, I, I call, and I, I just, through the internet, found his phone number uh-huh. and called it. And it was in France. And somebody picked up the phone. I was like, hey, can I speak to Emir Costa Rica? And they were like, he's not here. I'm his manager. And then I was like, told him this thing. He's like, well, I haven't seen him in 10 years. And if I ever do see him, I will kill him. Oh my and then God. hung up the phone. Wow. So that's pretty funny. And the, uh, yeah, the other person I uh, hit up was uh, Richard Ayoday, um, who's oh, this yeah. British, black British comedian who directed a movie called Submarine uh-huh. and uh, directed. Uh, the double and uh but he's known i guess the most thing thing he's most known for here besides being on the it crowd he's also in the movie the watch mm-hmm. he's the guy but anyway uh and he was like dude i i'm not going to direct this movie but i'm also going to demand that no one else directs this movie but you because, yeah <laughs> because reading the script yeah. obviously you have a vision that Sure. You want to put forward. And I was like, well, but I won't be able to get the money for it. He's like, you'll be able to get the money. You just won't be able to get as much money right. as someone else would. But right. You'll get the money and do it cheaply. Yeah. That's pretty cool to get. Uh, I'm sure that helps your confidence along the way to hear yeah. people champion you like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's one of the movie crushes, I guess, is uh, Emir Costa Rica, uh, Black Cat, White Cat. But Underground is also a great movie. That's a little bit easier to 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 get Underground, um, which is a movie about Underground is a movie about it's Yugoslavia um, during World War Two. Hitler is attacking this, and this revolutionary that's fighting Hitler um, is is has his face all over the place. And uh, has to escape, mm-hmm. has to hide. So he hides, and in, in, in his his 
he hides in his best friend confidant's basement. They hide a whole bunch of people there that are wanted by Hitler. And meanwhile, while the main revolutionary guy is in the basement, his best friend falls in love with the main revolutionary guy's wife Mm -hmm. who's living up in the house with him. Yeah. Um, Cut to 20 years later, the, the best friend is lying to the revolutionary guy and saying that Hitler's still out there. Oh, wow. It's the 60s now, wow. and they, they got fake radio broadcasts and, all, and fake explosions yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And there's a whole community of people living under his house. Oh, man. That sounds so, nuts. Yeah. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Well, I was able to watch uh, this morning, actually, uh, one of your other picks, Mishma, A Life in Four Chapters. And this mm. is uh, the Paul, great Paul Schrader, the Paul Schrader movie from the mid-'80s, uh, a very unconventional uh, biopic of the life of the uh, Japanese writer Yukio uh, Mishma. And um, I had never heard of this film, and it was unbelievable. It was amazing. Yeah, it's it's such it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. the way that – and that. The story that I just learned about is that it never played in Japan. I just read that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious about how they felt about it. It was apparently Japanese gangsters didn't like the fact that that, uh, it showed that Mishima was gay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Which was true to life. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think probably came through in a lot of his work. Um, But... He um, so I guess a guy had 
already put in a million dollars. A Japanese businessman had already put in a million dollars to develop it because Sony Japan said they were going to fund it. Mm-hmm. The gangster said they didn't want the movie right. in Japan. So Sony pulled out. And the guy that, that had put the million dollars in told Sony, well, okay, if you do this, I'm going to have to commit Sipico. So Because mm-hmm. that way, his family, the, the debts are wiped away right. from his family. Interesting. And uh, they didn't want that on their record. Right. So they were like, okay, we'll fund it. Man. You can, <laughs> you know, but it cannot be ever shown in Japan. Right. Man. And, some serious uh, business it's a there. Japanese language movie, though. Yeah, and and um, I mean, I'd never seen a movie quite like it. It was um, for those of you listening. It tells the story of this writer's life through um, through black and white flashback as one of the chapters, and then three of his um, novels uh, are played out on screen, but in a way that it relates and kind of tells his story. And it's also those novels are done in a very. Uh, theatrical manner. Yeah, I mean, it's clear it's shot on a sound sound stage. It looks like a stage play, very stylized. Yeah. And just like a blast of color Mm -hmm. um, compared to that black and white. And and it's one of these movies that you can tell it's just a labor of love from Paul Schrader. I think he even said, like, I knew that we would never make a dime back on this movie. But and apparently he only anyway. also got it made. It was through uh, George Lucas. Sure. Yeah, had to threaten had to like, or no, the George Lucas hit the studio up and said, uh-huh. you know, make this movie. And they said, and I guess he was mad at them for something. And they were like, well, will this make us even? <laughs> well, and, uh-huh. and he was like, yeah. That's and pretty I cool. Remember. Got to have um, good friends like that. <laughs> and I guess in 85, that would have been after Empire Strikes Back. So he yeah. had some serious clout. Yeah, yeah. At that point. And and so, but the th- other part of it is that how they show the movie is it's in the present mm-hmm. as well. And that's filmed differently than the flashbacks. Yeah. And the, uh, the uh, well, no, there's the flashbacks from when he's a kid. Then uh-huh. there's him as a young man. Right. And there then there's him getting ready to go take over the, the uh, fortress. Yeah, because as the story goes, he is an ardent traditionalist believer in the, the Bushido code of the samurai. And, um, and this is his true life story. And he goes to the, to the general's uh, quarters or office to kind of stage a, re- a revolution and fails. Uh, yeah. And it, that ending is so tragic when he goes out to the, to the army troops and he's trying to rally them uh, for a coup and they just are kind of making fun of him. Yeah. And I don't think, I think he knew, um, at least in the movie, he knew that uh, it was just going to be a statement because mm-hmm. his whole thing was uh, that artists, um, what does it say? Uh, there should be a unity of pen and sword. Right. And that he wanted to make a, he want he, you know, he had div- made his own private army because he was mm-hmm. rich and he also was well loved. So, he was able to get basically a cult of people that were his private military. Yeah, it's like his militia. Yeah, and he uh, went and took over the the uh, the. Uh, see, Japan didn't have an army; they only had like a national guard, mm-hmm. and that was his whole point. Was like the U.S. is you know we're a colony now, right? And um, so he wanted to 
take it over knowing that he would lose and, mm-hmm. you know, have and but the whole point was he wanted to be able to make this speech to the troops. Right. And uh, then kill himself. Yeah. I mean, it's a story that if I'd seen it and not known anything about the real life, I wouldn't it would have been hard to believe. But then knowing that this was the true story of this guy's life and how he yeah. went out, it's just amazing. But I think um, what, what I like about it and is how the story is told. Yeah, just so creative. Yeah. And, and you know, visually, like you said, the, the, there's the color. And when, when they're showing his works, um, he, uh, uh, Schrader was saying, look, you know, if you talk about a writer's life, most of their life is just sitting down writing and mm-hmm. it's boring. Yeah. You know, and then you're going to try to um, heighten the other parts. And yeah, it's not necessarily that exciting. What's the most exciting about a writer's life is their work. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, I have to show his work. Yeah. It's kind of a stroke of genius. Yeah. And uh, the the uh, score is Philip Glass. That was beautiful. Yeah. And it's very similar to Kalyana Scott's, I don't know how you say that name, uh-huh. but you you know that he, the first movie uh, Glass did was, uh, uh, as a score was Kalyana Scott-ski. I don't know how you say it, but, uh, and it's more of a tone poem that's uh-huh. like this feature length thing of all these images. That yeah. I guess would have been cool before there was YouTube. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, not to, but, but the score is, uh, is Philip Glass and it's very similar to uh-huh. the score. The, uh, this may have been his second one. It's very similar in melody to uh, some of those things. Yeah. It's just a gorgeous score. And the way he weaves and intercuts these uh, pieces together is just, uh, just unbelievable. And I knew Trader's work, and I'd never heard of this, so uh, this has been really cool. You've turned me on to a lot of new stuff. <laughs> well, it's like, uh, you know, digging in the crates. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I kind of follow trails just to see if I find something right that gets me hyped. Even in the, you know, like I'll look at really strange stuff that I know I don't like it as a movie Mm -hmm. i like to look at things that failed right and not only just to see why they failed Uh because that really helps but sometimes there's something in there that they did Mm -hmm. really right yeah yeah and which is you know and um those things get lost when you throw out the whole movie that's a really good point not many things are abject failures and uh uh, and to pick out something cool or, or noteworthy from Something considered a failure. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, have you ever seen, because um, I should have put this on there just so we could talk about it. Uh, uh, what is it? One from the Heart. One from the Heart. So Which One from the it? Heart is Francis Ford Coppola's movie that he did right after Apocalypse Now. Yeah, yeah. And it's a musical uh-huh. with Terry Gar. And yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The opposite of, of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's like he wanted to make his cheapest movie ever, but then mm-hmm. it ended up being the most expensive movie that that uh, <laughs> bankrupted Zoetrope Studios. Yeah. But um, the main thing, I don't know, I think the main thing is that the acting is terrible. And uh, But visually, 
like they rebuilt Las Vegas on a soundstage or oh, something wow. like that. Mm-hmm. And um, visually, they do all this crazy stuff with reflections. Uh-huh. And like somebody will be sitting in an apartment. And the, and I shouldn't talk about this because I'll probably steal it for something. <laughs> but um, somebody will be sitting in an apartment and there'll be a wall behind them. Like they're on their couch mm-hmm. in the apartment and the, the regular, uh, you know, drywall is behind them. Yeah. And they'll talk about something. And then all of a sudden, you real, all of a sudden it goes dark in the apartment and you, there's a whole nother set behind the wall that uh-huh. just is able to be seen through the wall because the lights come on through there. And then we travel to that other scene yeah. physically, like the camera moves uh-huh. there. And there's there's so many great transitions yeah. in that, that they, they did some amazing stuff. And the, the, the soundtrack is Tom Waits and mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt, which is strange. Yeah, it's an interesting It's mix. probably the corniest <laughs> stuff Tom Waits has ever done. But it's... Uh, it's yeah it, it, it that's i i can objectively see that it's not a good movie right but throughout it like every scene there's something amazing being done uh-huh and it, you know it's a musical so i think they just thought like they did like an old like 50s musical where the acting is just over the top yeah, every like the, second the melodrama you know? uh-huh. yeah you know Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we finish up with five questions. If you still have a few minutes, uh, you can uh, be succinct with these if you want, or you can talk more about them. What's the first movie you remember seeing in the movie theater? Laser Blast. I don't think I've heard of that one. Laser Blast is it's not high culture. Mm -hmm. It's um, and I remember I. I I know I must have seen other movies before this, but yeah. this is me remembering sure. be, the theater. Mm-hmm. Like I remember Star Wars, which had to be before this. Yeah, but remembering being in the theater is Laser Blast. Laser Blast is this movie. Actually, uh, Mystery Science Theater did something on it. But okay, it's, <laughs> I, I saw it at the Lux Theater in Oakland, which was like. My older brother took me, and it was a 24-hour theater where mm-hmm. they played kung fu flicks all night yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and people go in there to sleep. And, right. <laughs> and, um, but Laser Blast is this. It's made in the 70s. It's like a big rock and roll and disco soundtrack, and it's this <clears throat> teenager that's like a biker or whatever, and he finds this, this alien weapon in the, in, in, in the desert. Uh-huh. And and it goes over his arm like and becomes like an arm cannon or right. whatever. And he just has this power of this laser, and he can just blow <laughs> shit up. And and uh, and he's going and he's getting back at the bullies and all the stuff that uh-huh. happens in those kinds of movies. And and you know, um, and and then but the the can- arm cannon slowly is turning him into the alien. Oh wow. Thing. And then the other aliens that are the good aliens are coming to try to get the blaster away from him because uh-huh. it's a very powerful weapon that they've been searching for. So Laser blast. Yeah. All right. I got even more homework. Uh, first R-rated movie you remember seeing? And knowing that it was R-rated and knowing that yeah. I shouldn't be here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> That's the idea. I think it was... 
making love or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I was a kid and and my father took me there and I was just like, it was like him and his friends and I guess they uh-huh. didn't get a babysitter. So right. I was, there. first of all, it was boring as fuck. Yeah. But then <laughs> there was like, I was like, I shouldn't be in here. Right. Somebody cover my eyes. <laughs> yeah. That sweet innocence. Um, will you walk out of a bad movie? Or do you stick no, it I've already told you that. Uh, you know, I got to, yeah. You, you look for something. I have, I, let's put it like this. Have I walked out of a bad movie? Yes. Uh, I, I can't remember what it is, but, but yeah. That's right. But, you don't but, have to name yeah. uh, Who would play, who would you cast in the Boots Riley story? I hope that would never get made. Okay. <laughs> I don't like biopics. Anyway. Yeah. Like, it's never real. You know, like, there are things I'm considering doing that are based on people's lives, mm-hmm. but it's when I think that what they mean is more important than what they actually did on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So the idea of sticking to the truth is not for me. Okay. You know? Yeah. I I would want to tell the truth through them, through making up some crazy stuff about them. Right. Well, it's no wonder that you love the uh, Schrader movie then. Very unconventional biopic. Yeah. And effective. For See, I like to say biopic, but then everybody keeps correcting me and saying it's biopic. I've always said biopic. Biopic yeah. sounds better. Bio is life and... But instead of, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm a biopic guy. Uh, and then finally, movie going 101. What's your movie theater ritual these days? What do you, where do you sit? What do you, do you get popcorn? I go, in the, I go in the middle, like not too close, but in the middle. I like to be able to see the whole frame mm-hmm. there. And then, um, and I don't want to be all the way in the back where there's too much other stuff be, between the edge of my eyes and the frame. Right. And then um, I used to be like, well, if I go to the movie theater, I can have a Coke. Because I don't, otherwise I'm not trying to. But now I'm going to the movies so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing a screening tonight. With, oh, you know, yeah, like, of your own movie. Yeah, so I can't, <laughs> I don't, you know, so I don't do that anymore. And I'm trying to, you know. Uh, taking pictures, you know, went to Sundance and I'm taking pictures next to all these beautiful actors. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, I got to cut out sugar. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so, yeah. So it, no more soda at the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, go there, um, preferably with somebody that's not going to fall asleep, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, I think that's... That's all I. That's all I have to do is be there in, in in the theater in the middle. I'm good. Awesome. Thank you, Boots yeah. Riley. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Right, I got cool. a lot of homework thanks. to do. All right, thanks, man. All right, cool. Peace. All right, folks. That was Boots Riley. I think we can all agree. That he is a, a stand-up dude, an incredible talent, uh, and a nice guy. He uh, before and after we recorded, he was just super friendly, and um, didn't know me from Adam, but uh, you could tell he appreciated where I was coming from, 
and um, wanted pictures of us so he could tweet them out, uh, which is was usually not the case. It's usually me asking for the picture so I can use it. But uh, Boots is a really good dude, and I hope we get to hang out again at some point. The, uh, the invitation is open in case he ever comes to Atlanta again. So we had a great talk about Mishima, Life in Four Chapters, as well as some other great movies, uh, as well as his music and his career uh, in his hometown of Oakland. And uh, everyone should support Boots and his efforts. Uh, go check out The Coup if you haven't. There's a lot of great music out there. And starting next week, the great, great film, Sorry to Bother You. Very good movie. Uh, with the great Lakeith Stanfield, who is just all over the place these days. So uh, you haven't seen anything quite like this either. So go check out Sorry to Bother You in theaters and support Boots Riley in any way you can. And uh, I will task you with that this week. Until next time, go out and listen to uh, a record by The Coup. Do it. You'll have a good time, I promise. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.